Hi and welcome to the Confused Dad episode 6. When I was a young child, I had this absolute obsession with magic and I wanted to become a magician, an illusionist. I wanted to make people say, wow, this guy's, this guy's amazing. Um, there was something about the suspension of people's belief in like physics and reality where they would believe that something more was possible. And obviously for children, this is something they have naturally. There could be, there could be Santa Claus, there could be the Tooth Fairy, there, there's this, there could be. And I think that's quite incredible. And I actually considered uh, studying and actually doing um, a course in in um, in doing magic. And you can actually do it in a, in a school in Cape Town, I think. There's clown, clown and magician schools. Who knew, right? And um, my favorite magician or... or, or I suppose the guy that started it all for for many people who enjoy that kind of performance is David Copperfield. But David Copperfield has, now he's in his 60s, I mean, you know, the guy's been around for a while. He recently came under fire um, with someone who's trying to sue him. David Copperfield makes 13 people disappear on stage and reappear at the back of the room. Well, because a man was injured after he disappeared, we now know exactly how this trick works. And here's a hint, George. It's not magic. So... For the last 10 years, he's put on a big show in Las Vegas and he does a, a rather big illusion where you have multiple people who are sitting on a kind of stand or a uh, almost like a sports, what would you call it, like a, a raked seating for, for watching sports. Uh, and then these people sit there and then they're covered by a tarp, they have flashlights in the back of the this sort of, they hold it and they wave it around and then within a few seconds the top drops, there's an explosion and the people reappear at the back of the auditorium holding the flashlights, which is incredibly cool. Apparently a man a year ago who was part of his performance stumbled and tripped and hurt himself and now has permanent brain damage and he's suing for, for huge damages. He's suing not only David Copperfield but obviously the, the team behind the, the show and the hotel and all of that kind of thing. And the big fright that David Copperfield and his his sort of his side of the story, outside of the fact that he's saying, you know, I I didn't I, I ran the the course myself, uh, and and unfortunately this is the sad bit is that he's had to expose how the illusion is done, and this is the thing they wanted to protect uh, people from knowing. It's not so much the fact that if someone got hurt legitimately, which the man was asked after he fell, was he okay? And he said he was, but who knows, right? Um, I'll assume innocent until proven otherwise. It's going to be difficult, but yeah. They wanted to protect David Copperfield's magic. They wanted to protect um, people from knowing how it's done. And there's something incredible about even the simplest of tricks. As soon as it's revealed to the people, no matter how frustrating, like they could be so frustrated and they want to know and they want to know and they want to know. The moment they are shown... It's almost this strange uh, magical implosion where there is no more magic. It's like, oh, is that all? Is that all? So the people just got led down some little secret pathway and then they found themselves at the back of the auditorium. They had to go through a kitchen, believe it or not. So they had to be rushed through this little kitchen area and and then all the magic gone. It's just it's just gone when you know the, the nuts and bolts. And I suppose in life, there are things like that where you have in your mind, you have a belief that something is a certain way, a certain, I suppose, romance or love or marriage or having a child or whatever it may be. And I'm not in any way saying that there's not magical parts to it. Not at all. It's that before you go into it, so much of what we base our decisions on before we take those kinds of commitments are based around 
essentially fairy tales and things that are set us up for real like real real sort of i don't know like punch in the face kind of realignments we're like whoa this is not a knight in shining armor um you know my husband is a human being on some level and vice versa this is not meant to be you know happiness all the time this is not sort of sleeping beauty the very premise is insane you know some stranger awakened woken me from my slumber only so that i could fall in love and marry and be happily ever after this is not how it is and having a child too and for me this was for some reason particularly um getting married and having a child both of those things had such weight to me they it's something i really wanted i wanted to be married when strangely when i found the right person um it was something I never thought that would happen, not because I didn't think that I could live in a relationship or alongside someone. It's something I, I suppose until you find the right connection, you don't you don't know. And having a child, I absolutely knew that my life was going to change fundamentally. I'm going way beyond, I'm not even looking at anything superficial like, you know, I'm not going to be sleeping in, in a regular manner and um, there's going to be more challenges with regards to managing a family dynamic with three people as opposed to two that's a given that's absolutely given and so often i'm sort of left wondering when I, when i engage with parents and there are some incredible parents but a lot of people just seem to to see parenting as this sort of management thing where it's about sleeping routine and the eating routine and the bathing routine and gosh it's all these damn routines that just have to align so that they can have an hour where they can sit in front of the tv and watch game of thrones and drink wine like and i'm generalizing obviously and that's just the mood i'm in right now is generalization but the last few days have been damn hard and maybe a few maybe maybe more podcasts will have that as a as a, as a possibility that that there are just days that are damn hard and what's so difficult is like you don't really know what you have until you don't have it i guess and and even just having to be out of your comfort zone makes you question a lot of things about yourself and you start wondering like am i am i a good enough parent am i present enough no, and and you don't ask it like in 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 a fleeting moment like we all do as parents you sort of go am i doing well enough am i doing the best i can am i giving over to to a moment with my child where i can just be there and i'm not I don't have a split focus or a split worry. Again, you can't beat yourself up about the fact that that's a reality of life. You can't always be uh, present in a way that's that hides your tiredness or that hides your anxiety about work or life or family or whatever. It's just when you don't have, like in my case now, without having a job to immediately force all my energy into, I'm sort of left unraveling this being that is father more so than the being that is working man and then father because there is a level at which this idea of providing and like luckily for me i've never been in a stressful situation where i've been the sole provider for my family like we have required both my wife and myself to bring in monies to survive and i'm incredibly grateful to have somebody in my corner that is that is you know like completely down for the fight and 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 grinding and working hard and questioning themselves and that is amazing because it means that it's not all on my shoulders but i can only imagine when that is when that is a reality it's even harder when you no longer have that to fall back on me questioning my identity um, the illusion that is my identity see how i tied back into huh magic you see that you see how i did that 
He's brought it back to David Copperfield. But this whole illusion that is created about the identity of self, like that can change in the blink of an eye. You leave your house, you're somebody, you're something, you're this or that, and you, you're hit by a truck, um, you know, you you T-bone by a truck, and you wake up in the hospital, and you're blind, and you don't have the use of your legs. Like, bam, there's your identity stripped for you. And other things happen too. And then you're sort of left with yourself in a way that asks you to look at yourself in a new way because there are no sort of defined lines anymore. It's almost like the whole outfit you wore, that doesn't have a context anymore. So you got dressed up for a wedding and you arrive and it's actually a foam ice skating party and you're like, whoa, I am out of I am out of sync with this experience. And that's that's sort of like losing losing your job takes you and makes you out of sync. It puts you out of sync with, with a world that is that is a working world, so to speak. I look around now and I sort of I sort of notice people working around me that I didn't notice before, particularly work that's almost invisible, cleaning staff, um, people who serve other people, and there's a, there's a there is a, an awareness and an appreciation of just purposeful work, which which I think is is a very very important aspect of human development. Um, you know, there is, I, I, if I had to win a lottery and win, I think I saw the other day an American lottery of hundreds of millions of dollars, I, I'm not the kind of person who's going to be able to just sort of sit around and staring at the TV or, you know, for, for too long and then I'll sort of just get bored of that and I'll move on and I'll try and create or do something. And it's the same situation now where I find myself needing to, going in and out of of licking wounds, I guess, and, and ruminating about the events that unfolded to get me to this point and questioning, grinding away and, and trying to figure it out. But at the same time, there's nothing, not, that's not going to create something new. And I'm very well aware of that, but it sort of comes in phases or stretches where it's go up and down, up and down, and there you go. And, um, and there's a lot of analysis and then there's nothing. And then there's just trying to survive and trying to keep an emotional framework together that that you had but a few you know a few weeks or months ago you were a certain person and doing certain things and you thought of yourself in a certain way and when that's removed it's totally unique it's not something that happens very often i think it happens when you have a child where things you once thought about yourself like this is the kind of guy i am and if that's the sort of mentality you go in with like that's what i do on a saturday like it or not that's how i am like it or not then you kind of are quickly adjusted with regards to yourself when you have a child because it requires you to strip away a few layers of skin. I don't know where I heard that, but it's quite a beautiful, for me, visually, that, that everybody has these layers that they build up and some people through the course of their lives sort of get stripped of these layers. And the more you strip, you know, the more alien you might become, but then you find other people who've got similar amounts of skin missing, similar layers of the mask that have been removed. And you can kind of tell that that's happened to someone across the room. You just sort of know. Someone who's been in the war just sort of knows someone else who has been in the war. There's just something in the eye. There's something in, in the stance. There's just something in the physicality. And it's the same thing with emotional stuff. You know, you can just sense it. You can just know. Once you've gone through something that's really tricky and you meet someone else, it takes you a few seconds before you yeah, this person has most definitely also lived in that way. So... What I found interesting anyway was that the, the the whole thing of protecting the magic was such an interesting thing. And 
when going through a difficult time, how do you how do you protect the magic or how do you protect the safe space for your own child when you are going through difficult things? Um, you, without without hiding it to the point where you're being dishonest that you can share with your child or your teenager, whatever, more so when they're older, but how do you let them into the world so that they can contextualize things and say, okay, dad feeling anxious because, you know, he's not going to work anymore, so he's not really sure what his next step is, and he's figuring it out, versus, you know, everything is awesome, everything is awesome all the time, which isn't the case, and everything is not depressing all the time. So there's something to be said for these experiences because they allow for us to also share and show our children and and each other significant other people in our lives that that there's these these colors and i guess the older i become the more i realize that it's it's more there's more and more subtlety and variation in these swirls of color so i don't know if you've ever seen people paint like i think it's called marble painting where they put the paint on top of water and then they put paper on top of that they float it on there and the moment they take it off the paint somehow adheres to the to the to the paper off the surface of the water marble painting it's kind of like that those swirls and those those little subtle uniquenesses that is your life they're all there and sharing it with other people you know sharing it with with, with someone who you who you care for i mean it does there's a lot to be learned and i'm learning a lot in just allowing myself and that's something else just on the back end it's like as a, a husband and as a man there are these rules and the rules have changed and bent a little that's for sure I'm not saying that we're living in some massive, you know, archaic, patriarchic thing. And there are still families like that. But for the most part, you're allowed to feel and cry and so on. And that's kind of accepted. Carrying a baby in a cool carrier, like, yeah, you can push the pram and definitely cool. But just sharing what I found has really helped. And this does require you to have a significant other that's receptive to this. You know, it does require, it does take two to work through difficult things is just being allowed or being able or challenging yourself to speak about things on a daily basis just little little bits where you are connecting or you are just it's almost you're checking the oil of your emotional vehicle it's just dipping in and out just to say today i'm here today i'm there uh, and and it just allows also for the other person because my defense mechanism my way of protecting myself is just to or protecting other people is to shut down and sort of go, you know, pull it all in and just sit and just feel it and just be in it. Kind of, I don't know, like animals do when they get injured or they're sick, they sort of just lie under the tree and just like, boom, leave me alone. I'll be back whenever I'm ready. And I've realized that that, that need to protect others by pulling away often hurts them. And the harder thing is just to keep them updated and keep them in the loop so that's a challenge that i that i that i've sort of really pushed in myself is to just push through that initial difficulty and just share where you're at because it also helps you to see your own ebb and flow so you realize you're you're on a curve up and down that it's not permanent it's not not every day is exactly the same but it may feel that way just so that you can also have reflection other than your own head your own voice because that one is usually the most negative and usually doesn't stop so it's it's important to give over the thing you think you're in control of, which is like the power you have over your own thoughts, it's important to give that away so that you can have the power to adjust your own thoughts as well, as opposed to just having your own thoughts, because those can be very dark and difficult and, and sort of one-sided and you're sort of running around in circles in a closed room. At least bring someone to the window on the outside and let them have a look in and they can say, listen, why don't you just take a break? Or, you know, that there's a door right over there or, you know, here's a, here's a pancake through the window or something. 
just so they can connect. And um, yeah, I've, I've learned that and that's taken a lot of effort to get to that point. It's not easy, but as a man, and I say that with, with all due respect to, you know, I realize I'm generalizing, but it's difficult sometimes for us to, to reach out and allow others to help us just to be a sounding board. We, we can't offer necessarily the, uh, solutions that are simple for ourselves. Like we can't say, okay, I'm talking to you so I can figure out something. It's not necessarily the case. Like there isn't always a solution. Sometimes it's just about sharing. That in and of itself helps in the reparation of your own inner world, especially when it's gone through a life-changing event. And the same thing goes for kids is that uh, something I'm learning is that um, just allowing that curve, that intense emotional spike of, oh no, life's going to be really bad and something bad happened and oh no, I've hurt myself or, you know, in the case of my son, it's that his nose gets blocked and then he's really panicking. He gets panicked, he's got a nose block and he wants to get in the nose spray and, ah, you know, it becomes, because you can't breathe properly, I totally get that feeling. It's really, it's a good analogy. Like anxiety is like a nose block. You just, you just can't get any air and you're like, God, I need, I need out somehow. And, um, there's, there's, there's allowing for that that feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, panicking. And once the panic has subsided, I'm able to then, I'm able to then get back to myself somehow. Um, it's important that that curve actually is a curve. It's actually like a full-on race. Your body has to go through, da, 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 shoot up the adrenaline, heart rate, breathing rate, and then it will, it can't indefinitely stay at the highest possible levels because, you know, it will burst. So you've got to trust it. It's like phobias. That's how they do exposure therapy for phobia, where they say, okay, I'm going to show you a picture of a spider, and then the person believes they won't survive it, and they just sit with it, they sit with that panic. And then that gets less, and they give it a rating. They actually say, I'm at an 8 out of 10, or a 9 out of 10, and then they do it enough times to be able to track themselves and say, hey, I'm at a 6 now, where three months ago I was at a 9. So sometimes you also don't believe your own development unless you share it with others that can go, hey, you know, you've come a long way. And then you need to damn well trust them. Because sometimes, you know, you jeopardize yourself. I've realized that anxiety and depression, it's self-sabotaging. So you'll tell someone something, but you've already secretly, or you haven't done it consciously, but your mind has already told you, whatever they tell you out, they just, you know, whatever. That's nice and all, but it's it's their opinion. And your opinion of yourself, irrespective of how bad it is, is the right one. And I think giving over some of that power as a man is pretty critical. Um, if you want to actually gauge yourself in in the actual reality you're in as opposed to the one that you create, which can sometimes be incredibly vicious and incredibly ensnaring. So those are my thoughts about that. I hope David Copperfield, you know, I hope he makes it out here all right. I think he suppose he feels very sort of sad that something which he's done for such a long time has been exposed to the public. Um, must be must be heck of a vicious thing to sort of have your, your dirty laundry in his case, really magical laundry, and then he, his magical laundry has been exposed, and, he, and everybody knows how he manages to get his white so white, and how he manages to dry his clothes in such a quick period of time. It must have been really hard for him. But yeah, I just thought I'd share that because that was one of, for some reason, I really just thought, what an awesome dude! When I was a kid, I just wanted to fly, just like him. Yeah, I suppose we all we all want to fly at some point in our lives. And that's it, people. Episode six. You'll uh, recognize, or maybe you won't, but when I started the podcast, I opened up with a small segment from Kanye West's first uh, release album, College Dropout. And the reason for that is, in 2003, the track Through the Wire, which is what you heard a little bit of, was released to critic acclaim. And 
the reason it's called The Wire is Kanye West uh, was in a, a near-fatal car accident that broke his jaw and had to have his face reconstructed and a steel plate put in his mouth and all kinds of things. And he released this album. It was two weeks in the hospital. And he then had studio equipment and things brought in for him to his home, I believe. I could be wrong. But um, he then he then recorded this 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 track through the wire. And you'll hear that um, it's almost his 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 ability to to speak is is um, hindered because he's got this wire that's basically wiring his jaw shut so that his bones can 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 sort of mend together. But for me, this is an incredibly powerful track, knowing that this contextually is what was going on, and that he wanted to create so badly, and and needed to create so badly, and obviously had a life changing experience that changed his framework and paradigm that he just had to put this down. And thinking about the hip-hop world and that kind of uh, putting out a, oh, I don't know, a macho image or a, a, a perfect got-it-all-together kind of image, an alpha male image, to put yourself in a position where your your weakness becomes almost a, a um, I don't know, a wild card, something unique, that he capitalized on this moment that other people might... I mean, you, you go into pretty severe depression after something like that where you almost lose your life. And the reason is that he fell asleep at the wheel at 3 o'clock in the morning because he just finished work, uh, working on other people's music in the studio as a producer. So he got almost punished for his hard grind. And yet he used that to such a massive, to become such a massive part of why he then became loved um, because of, of his capacity to, to bring something to the table that's completely unique off the back of almost having lost his life and that 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 that, that something like that would well, there was a lot of that something along those lines like a near fatal accident would have a lot of people sort of curling up and you know lying down not getting up again but it's just pretty inspirational and i'm finding myself searching out people and experiences um, that they've had of of real trial and real challenge and how they managed to turn the tables on it. So, yeah, that was just something small for you guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can always leave me, um, you can always leave a comment inside of Anchor itself or email me at confuseddads uh, at gmail.com. But until next time, goodbye and have a good one.